Support for Petri Dish is made possible by UT Health San Antonio, committed to transforming the health of the community through a team that tackles problems from every angle, doing everything it takes to bring each patient the best possible outcomes, from teaching tomorrow's healthcare leaders to translating research into new treatments. UT Health San Antonio strives to make lives better. Learn more at everythingittakes.org. There was a time during the pandemic where a lot of us didn't go to the grocery store. Remember that? It really was the safest approach for shoppers and for those of us who cared about the health and safety of the essential workers at the store. Order your groceries online, pick them up, or have them delivered. Easy peasy. You didn't even have to open your door. In 2021, we started going back to the store, but in our masks, a lot of us did anyway, my mask protected you and your mask protected me. That was the theory anyway. Not everyone masked, but a lot of us did. I did, maybe you did, for years. Then spring of 2023 came. COVID numbers were consistently pretty low and the public health emergency was allowed to expire. The pandemic wasn't over, it still isn't, but the public health emergency was over and it felt safe to unmask at the store. And I did. So nice and cool in here. But over the last few weeks, something concerning has been happening. In San Antonio and probably where you live too, COVID cases have been creeping and then in some places sprinting up. Here in the Alamo City, it started in early July. Each week, a few hundred people would test positive for COVID-19. We hadn't seen that in a while. Then in August, it was more than a thousand a week. And then during the week ending August 22nd, it was nearly 2,000 new cases. And those are just the ones getting counted at the doctor's office or the hospital. Tests aren't free anymore, so a lot of people aren't testing at all. But for those who are, the trajectory of positives is straight up. So I wondered, with these increasing numbers, are people starting to take precautions again? Are people wearing masks at the grocery store? Sure. I met Eva by the samples at an HEB on the north side of San Antonio. <laughs> Eva and I were enjoying the tomato and basil tossed in garlic herb oil. It was really good. And I asked her if she had heard about the rising number of COVID cases in San Antonio. She hadn't. I told her about them and asked whether, if case counts continued to rise, she would start to wear a mask again. She said, If I have to, I mean, I wouldn't choose to. Oh, I was frankly surprised by Eva's answer. She would wear a mask, but only if the grocery store required it. But otherwise, not so much. I mean, my daughter's in high school. My son's in daycare. 
So getting exposed to COVID at the grocery store is, I guess, the least of her concerns. She's exposed all the time. Exactly. I mean, strep throat just came out in daycare. I mean, there was one case and that was it. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't know. Eva is over COVID. In fact, it seems like everyone in this HEB is over it. There is not a mask in sight, including on my face. But is it time to reconsider? From Texas Public Radio, this is Petri Dish. I'm Bonnie Petrie. Good afternoon, everyone. On Monday, November 9th, 2020, the brand new president-elect, Joe Biden, took to the podium to talk COVID policy. It starts with doing everything possible to get the COVID-19 under control so that we can reopen our businesses safely and sustainably, resume our lives, put put this pandemic behind us. Biden predicted a dark winter ahead. So that's why today I've named the COVID-19 Transition Advisory Board, comprised of distinguished public health experts to help our transition team translate the Biden-Harris COVID-19 plan into action, a blueprint that we can put in place as soon as Kamala and I are sworn in to office on January 20th, 2021. One of the members of that board was Dr. Celine Gounder. She's an internist, an infectious diseases specialist, and an epidemiologist, and is currently editor-at-large for Public Health at KFF Health News. Dr. Gounder is a longtime friend of the show, and she joined me recently to chat about the current COVID situation. I follow her work and noted that she seems to bristle when people call what's happening now a surge. Why is that? Right. So I think this is an example of um, understanding statistics, epidemiology. When we are seeing a 12, 14 percent increase in hospitalizations, you don't just look at that percent increase. You also have to look at percent increase over what? So if you're starting at a very low level, even a 200% increase might not be very high. And what we're seeing right now is about 10,000 or so hospital admissions a week. Uh, We have seen more than two to four times that level of hospital admissions from COVID at other points in the pandemic. I do think it's certainly possible that we will see a, a wave this fall and winter I don't think it'll be as bad as in the past, but I don't think we're there yet. And the reason it's important to be precise about when we call something a surge or not, you don't want to be overly alarmist um, in these situations because then people don't listen to you when they actually need to listen when there truly is a surge. Mm, But when you hear cases in San Antonio have increased by, you know, 400 percent over a month and a half, it can be difficult to remember that big percentages can still mean small numbers. So in the most recent week measured in San Antonio, 1,965 people tested positive for COVID. During the same week last year, more than 5,000 people tested positive. In 2021, more than 8,000 people were added to the case counts. 
Now, the problem with the numbers right now is that they leave us with an unclear picture of how much COVID is really out there. Many of the tools we used last year and the year before and the year before that to track the virus went away with the end of the public health emergency back in May. That is right. So we have stopped doing the level of testing we had been for COVID earlier in the pandemic. A lot of people are just not testing even if they have symptoms, uh, which is a mistake because there are therapeutics, not just for COVID, but also for influenza. And that can abbreviate your period of infectiousness. In the case of uh, older and other high-risk people taking Paxlovid, or for that matter, Tamiflu or Zofluza for the flu, these medications can keep you out of the hospital. Even if you're vaccinated, if you're a high-risk person, there's still a risk of hospitalization in, in those groups. And, and because so much of the testing right now is with rapid tests, those test results don't get reported to the CDC in a way that's reliable, which is why the CDC has stopped reporting uh, new infections. Right. The Centers for Disease Control is now only reporting hospitalizations and deaths. And it, too, is reporting increases. Nationwide, according to the CDC, COVID hospitalizations increased by nearly 22% in the week ending August 12th. More than 12,000 people were hospitalized with COVID. Now, 12,000 is a lot of people admitted to the hospital in one week with one disease, right? But during the same week last year, more than 41,000 people were admitted to the hospital with COVID nationwide. So 41,000 down to 12,000 is a significant decrease year over year. It may not feel that way where you are because, like most everything with this virus, it's hitting the nation unevenly again, says Dr. Gounder. Well, if you look at things regionally, um, we are seeing the most um, transmission currently in the Midwest, and we're seeing the, mo- the biggest increase in hospitalizations in the South. And also the biggest increase in people being admitted to the ICU, intensive care unit, in the South. And I think this is really a reflection of differences in vaccination rates. So we're not seeing the big surges across the country um, in terms of hospitalizations from COVID the way we had in the past because the vaccines are working. They're keeping people out of the hospital. They're saving lives. But where vaccination rates are lower, like in the South, unfortunately, you are seeing um, more hospitalizations uh, from COVID and um, more deaths from COVID to follow. Still, the numbers just aren't comparable to last year at this time. Gounder stands by it. This isn't a surge, at least not the kind of overwhelming wave of sickness and death we've grown too accustomed to. But that does not mean you shouldn't try to reduce your risk as numbers rise, because you don't have to be high risk to be at risk. There's still a lot we don't know about long COVID. More on that when Petri Dish continues.
Support for Petri Dish is made possible by UT Health San Antonio, committed to transforming the health of the community through a team that tackles problems from every angle, doing everything it takes to bring each patient the best possible outcomes, from teaching tomorrow's healthcare leaders to translating research into new treatments. UT Health San Antonio strives to make lives better. Learn more at everythingittakes.org. Welcome back to Petri Dish. I'm Bonnie Petrie. So there is something that's been really gnawing at me about my visit to H-E-B. You know, the samples and the tomatoes and basil tossed in garlic herb oil. A couple of middle-class moms chatting by the fancy cheeses. The spacious aisles. The produce section, vivid with a variety of fresh fruits and vegetables and larger than some convenience stores that are the only place to shop in some neighborhoods. The abundance of everything. The privilege. Eva isn't worried about masks. Heck, she's not even vaccinated, but she tells me she's from a family of doctors, and while I don't know her beyond our chat by the samples, she seems to have access to all kinds of resources should she get sick. So I'm thinking about how the pandemic really does seem to be over as I walk around this store and in this neighborhood as I head for the door. And a young man walks in. The bleach-white KN95 duckbill mask obscuring much of his face announces that he knows the pandemic isn't over, and he has concerns. His name is DJ Marigal. Yeah, for sure. Like, literally today is the first day that I wore my mask, too. All My entire family got it yesterday, so I'm doing the shopping for them right now, so... DJ says now that he's back in a mask, he's going to be wearing one for a while. Oh, probably well into, like, after winter. Because, you know, like, flu season and all the other stuff, you might as well just stay safe. You know, like, I don't have PTO to cover my stuff, you know, so I'm going to stay as safe as possible and just keep wearing masks and social distance. That's something that always confused me about people who were reluctant to wear masks and take other precautions at the height of the pandemic. Even if you truly believed COVID wasn't serious, despite all the good evidence to the contrary... Who has the time to be sick at all? And many, many people truly can't afford not to go to work. I work at a service industry job, and so, like, I'm already exposed that way, and I don't want to take any more risk because I have to, like, because my job requires me to be in the public eye. So I'm not going to take any more risks, like, on my own time, you know. So how do you protect yourself in this post-public health emergency period as COVID numbers are rising, very few people are wearing masks, and RSV and flu season are at our doorstep? Dr. Celine Gounder, internist, infectious diseases specialist, epidemiologist, and editor-at-large for public health at KFF Health News, has thoughts. Number one, of course, get vaccinated. If you're not already vaccinated, absolutely get vaccinated. One group that we're also seeing um, in ERs and in the hospital right now um, increasingly is infants 
from COVID, and very few infants are vaccinated. Less than 5% of infants nationwide are vaccinated against COVID. And so that's a real gap, infants and kids, uh, who we could be protecting. In terms of boosters, the groups that are highest priority for getting boosters are the elderly, especially if you're over 75, uh, people who are immunocompromised, pregnant women, people with underlying medical conditions, especially if it's a heart or lung condition, and people living in nursing homes. You know, I think the eligibility for boosters will be wider, will be broader. But if you're in one of those high risk groups, it's especially important that you go get boosted as soon as the COVID boosters are available. Then, of course, in addition to vaccines, it's not all just about vaccines. There are other things we can be doing. Masks do work. If you're in a crowded public setting, you may want to pull out your masks again, especially this fall as we head into more transmission season. I still wear a mask when I'm on an airplane or in an airport or when I'm in a crowded theater. You know, it's dark. You're just sitting there watching a movie. There's there's really, you know, nothing to lose. So I think masks are still an important tool. HEPA air filtration units. And they're not just about COVID. They help reduce the risk of flu, of RSV, of other uh, viral respiratory infections. In some parts of the country, we're seeing a lot of wildfire smoke and other kinds of pollution that can also be harmful, especially if somebody has asthma or heart or lung disease. And so it's actually a nice investment, a good investment in your health to have those around the home. And then finally, making use of testing, uh, especially if you're going to be around people who are high risk, to protect them as well as for you yourself to access medication if you're sick. Then there's the upcoming updated booster. The new booster that will be coming out this fall is fine-tuned or tailored for XBB which is um, the second to last, you could say, uh, new variant. Uh, There is an even newer variant called EG5, also known as Eris. But XBB and EG5 are actually quite similar. Um, And so the XBB booster will provide very good protection against that as well. So who should consider a boost? The CDC has not weighed in yet on who should get the COVID booster or even who will be eligible for the COVID booster. I think big picture, if you're eligible and um, you want to have that extra protection against infection for at least a couple months, uh, you would certainly uh, benefit from getting a booster. Uh, Again, the highest risk people who really absolutely should go and get a COVID booster includes the elderly, people who are immunocompromised, pregnant women, Uh, people who live in nursing homes. And again, um, I think it's important to get the message out there. Infants and children, many have not been vaccinated for COVID at all and really do need to get vaccinated. Okay, so whenever we have these conversations about who should actively try to protect themselves against COVID infection, we say those who are at high risk of hospitalization and death. But I think that should probably always come with a caveat. And that is you don't have to be at high risk to be at risk for long COVID. This potentially disabling syndrome can develop in anyone of any age, apparently healthy or not. Athletes have gotten it, teenagers, doctors. It's indiscriminate. Dr. Gounder, what are your thoughts on that? 
There's still a lot we don't know about long COVID. Some of the recent research has shown that after somebody has had influenza, the rates of long COVID-like symptoms are actually quite similar to what we see after COVID itself. And I think this points to the fact that there are a lot of post-viral sim- syndromes that we're underdiagnosing um, that we still don't really understand very well. We don't really have very good treatments for either. Vaccination has been shown to reduce the risk of progressing to long COVID. And then if you are especially concerned, in addition to getting boosted, these other protective measures like masking, uh, like using a HEPA air filtration unit, like using testing to reduce your risk, all of these measures still work to reduce your risk of getting COVID and, and long COVID thereafter. We're approaching the end of August, and last year at this time, cases of respiratory syncytial virus really started to spike, followed by an early and intense flu season and then another legit COVID surge. I asked Dr. Gounder what she thought we could expect this year. We don't yet know how RSV is going to play out this coming season. It may well be an earlier season again. Will it be as severe as last year? I don't think so, because I think now, you know, what essentially happened during the pandemic is you had a lot of kids who, more and more kids building up over a couple of years who had not been exposed, who did not have immunity, who were all exposed basically at once. And so you had this big spike in cases. I don't think we're going to see that again this year. Uh, The other good news is that we have some new tools to protect ourselves against RSV. So there is a new monoclonal antibody injection for infants called Bayfortis that can be given to prevent infection with RSV last the season. So it's a one-time injection for the season. There's also an RSV vaccine for people 60 and over, and the elderly and people with immunosuppression, immunocompromised people, people who have underlying heart and lung disease, people in congregate settings, especially nursing homes, uh, would be the target population for the RSV vaccine. And this is exciting. On August 21st, the FDA approved Abrismo, a single-dose vaccine injection for use during 32 through 36 weeks gestational age of pregnancy. Here, the idea is you vaccinate the pregnant woman. She naturally makes her own antibodies to RSV, and then she passes those antibodies on to her fetus or to her newborn through the placenta and through breast milk. And this is, in fact, how pregnant women protect their newborns for the first six months or so of life is passing on their own antibodies to their child. This is natural. This is how, you know, we provide, we pass on immunity until the baby's immune system is able to mature enough. And so, you know, I think this is an underappreciated approach, which is vaccinating pregnant women to protect the infant Many pregnant women have been uh, offered influenza vaccination, Tdap uh, vaccination, uh, in particular for pertussis. And this is really the same strategy that's being recommended for RSV, as, as well as, for that matter, for COVID. And for the flu, of course, get your flu shot. And because flu season came early last year, it may be a good idea to get it as soon as it's in stock at your pharmacy or doctor's office. 
So one more time before I let you go, Dr. Gounder, you're saying don't call it a surge. So why not? Right now we're seeing an uptick in in hospitalizations. We have seen a lot more transmission, but the vaccines work. They are keeping most people out of the hospital. I do anticipate we may well see a surge this fall and winter, but I think we should choose our words carefully because it's a bit like the boy who cried wolf. If you say there's a surge when there's not a surge, when there really is one, people won't listen. And I think we've already seen a lot of erosion and trust in public health. And so it's all the more incumbent on us who, on those of us who work in the field to be very careful about how we speak about and message about these issues. Yes, I absolutely agree with that. Thank you, Dr. Celine Gounder. This episode of Petri Dish was produced by TBR News Director Dan Katz, Jacob Rosati, and me. Jacob Rosati also composed all the music and created the sound design on this show. Special thanks to Mark Isaacs for his production help at HEB. Petri Dish is a production of Texas Public Radio. I'm Bonnie Petrie. Talk to you soon. <laughs>